Hello, I'm Jason Solomons and welcome to Seen Any Good Films Lately, the awards season podcast still reeling from the slap heard around the world. Wow! Will Smith just smacked the shit out of me. There are so many takes on what happened at the Oscars, I will weigh in with mine and... It's the bad guys! Arrest them! Come on, you can't prove that. The bad guys hits the big screen and we hear from its director, Pierre Perifel. He's French, in case you were wondering. It's seen any good films lately. So, Will Smith slapped Chris Rock and it was a shock. It never looked like a stage slap to me. I was watching with some fine Academy members at Claridge's. You know, must have been about three o'clock in the morning at this point. And boy, did that wake us up. I've never seen anything like that. And then the whole carrying on after in a numbed, almost catatonic state as if we'd all been slapped. Will Smith actually getting up and doing an acceptance speech. That was too bizarre. I'm not here to tell you what should and shouldn't happen in the fallout from it all. Some people think it's great that Will defended his wife's honour. Some feel it's a race matter, it's a betrayal of black male behaviour. A few minutes later, in the In Memoriam segment, there was a giant picture of the late Sidney Poitier looming over all proceedings. And I just thought, well, you know, he'd be turning in his grave at all this, his entire career being about non-violence and dignity and righteous anger channelled into words... They call me Mr. Tibbs and all of that. I know how he'd have felt about the whole thing. Some feel comedians should be able to say their jokes without impunity. What, even the bad jokes? Even ones 25 years out of date? Me, I was gutted for Questlove, whose big black moment was overshadowed. He won for Summer of Soul and paid tribute to fellow nominee Stanley Nelson in his film Attica. Oh my, and that would have been amazing with Chris Rock giving out that award. A huge moment for black marginalisation, which is what Summer of Soul was all about. The thing is, the Oscars has become a shambles. And that was way before Will Smith made it chaos. And maybe that is why we're here, why we're at where we're at. The general theme these days is that a host at these award ceremonies must take the piss, must defeat the pomposity and the loveliness of award ceremonies, even while the whole point is to be celebrating the art and the artists that we're applauding. You know what? I watch the Oscars because I love movies, not because I love TV shows and not because I hate everyone involved in them and I want to see them squirm. No, the BAFTAs are the same, even worse, with that dreadful Rebel Wilson and her sexist, self-involved awfulness and crass jokes. The fact that Chris Rock's bad, bald gag wasn't funny is the whole reason we're here now, because it wasn't funny. Taking the piss started with Ricky Gervais at the Globes and it's got worse and worse and worse and less and less funny until no one watches anymore. And until someone does one last gag that isn't funny and they get smacked in the mouth. That's where we got to. And if no one's watching these TV shows anymore, which everyone's sort of saying, oh, no, there's no ratings, they're terrible, no one watches it. Well, isn't that the right time to rip up the old rule book and reset the dial? I say no one's watching. I mean, it's like 20 million people, which isn't bad. And what are we celebrating anyway? We're celebrating... Netflix shows and Apple TV shows. 
Coda and the Power of the Dog. That's where they're on. The lines got so blurred, it's time to redraw the thing and celebrate movies. We don't take the mickey out of the Super Bowl or the FA Cup final or the World Cup final. We don't do jokes before Wimbledon, do we? No, we applaud top sports people at the top of their game. It's time to remember that. Take it seriously. Get some classiness back into the whole film awards game. Remember why we love movies. It's not for smart-ass roasting and simmering resentment and snippy envy from the presenters on the stage. It's just not funny. And so you end up with someone getting punched. There was another slap in the face on the night to Netflix when Coda uh, took the best picture crown. Well done to them. I mean, all of that, the sight of the whole room applauding in sign language, weaving, waving their wrists in unison. That's how you communicate with your hands. That was an uplifting sight. I loved that. I'm a fan of Coda. I've been telling you this on the show for weeks and told you to watch out for it. It's the little film that could. Is it the best film? Is it better than West Side Story? Parallel Mothers, Hand of God, Worst Person in the World, Drive My Car, Summer of Soul? No, it's not. Surely not. But it has got heart and soul and it's got love in buckets. And that's why it won. That stuff still counts in the movies. It made me cry, Coda, and sometimes that's why we go to the cinema. If we did go to the cinema for Coda, which I didn't, I saw it at home, but I did cry. Well, we can go to the cinema now. It is re-releasing there, and you should go and go and cheer it on. But come on, Academy. You know, there was so much there (laughs) that I wanted to see. Denzel Washington giving out the honorary Oscar to Samuel L. Jackson. I'd have paid to see that. To see Elaine May clips. Liv Ullman rewarded to revel in the rich history of the movies. That's what we're there for, rather than what you did, which was have Wanda Sykes wander around your new museum uh, in Hollywood, taking the piss out of all the exhibits. So what you're doing is you're taking the piss out of yourselves and her own dumb persona. So no wonder we get to a stage where a guy who's worked his ass off for over 30 years to get to this crowning glory moment from doing Fresh Prince of Bel-Air to I Am Legend to Hitch and everything that he's had to jump through, Just as he's got to the summit in his sights, Will Smith, some arsehole comes on and instead of praising you and respecting your life's work and the heartfelt performance you did into King Richard onto the screen and playing Richard Williams, some bloke comes on and takes the piss out of your wife's hair loss. Well, no wonder he smacks the shit out of you. So to awards shows, I say let's just remember what we're here for and start again loving the movies. Well, it's been a pleasure covering awards season this year for you on seeing any good films lately from the Biffers and the European Film Awards last year. That was the end of last year to the BAFTAs and the Oscars just in recent weeks. We've had some winners on the show in Ariana DeBosa and Questlove and some top nominees in Jonas Rasmussen with Flea and Andrea Arnold with Cow and Boiling Point's Jason Fleming and Phil Baratini who directed it. And there was Polystyrene Celeste Bell and Sweetheart's Nell Barlow and the gang from The Worst Person in the World. Terrific films, terrific performances and terrific work from all of those people. Don't take the piss out of them, do we? Well, anyway, now it's done. Let's get on with some fun stuff that you don't get in awards season and have a good look at a cartoon. Hey, look, it's a cat stuck in a tree. It doesn't get much simpler than that. Now, what in this scenario would give you that good tingle? Eating it? This is why I always carry two pieces of bread with me. No, I want you to... Smack it. Skin it. Stab it. Saute. Sing to it. Save it. I want you to set in this off. It's so obvious. I want you to save it. Oh, right. Right. Here. 
Whoa, that cat is obviously defective. Yeah, the bad guys is out just in time for the Easter holidays, and I know kids will love it. It's fast and furious, it's a caper cartoon with lots of fart gags and silly car chases about a bunch of robbers, Mr Wolf, Mr Snake, Mr Piranha, Mr Shark and Mr Tarantula, who are convinced to go straight by an evil billionaire guinea pig. <laughs> I told you it was a cartoon. It riffs on loads of heist movies. It's all directed by the most French cartoon person sounding French cartoon person, Pierre Perifel, who's got together a superb and diverse voice cast, including Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Craig Robinson from uh, Hot Tub Time Machine, Anthony Ramos from In the Heights, Zazie Beats, and Richard Ayoade. He plays the uh, evil guinea pig, of course, because he's English. So much did I admire this cast that I'd kind of like to watch them do the live-action version. You can on Twitter, actually. You can see them doing a table read, and they're all there if you follow Pierre Perifel on Twitter. So when I did uh, speak to Pierre, I asked him if it was important for him to get diversity into the casting, even if it was for a cartoon, and even if it was just via the voices. The first instincts, first of all, is to get the right voice for the, for the character that you're creating, you know? But it, it, it turned out how, it turned out that we had you know we had that kind of diversity in our cast. So it really was you know first of all thinking of the characters and the story, and then later on you know bringing up that that diversity because again we're talking like the message of the film is all about you know stereotyping and all, and I think it fits so well you know just to be able to have a a, a cast that is representing that. Yeah, it's a it, look. It, it, it's a wonderful thing. I mean, you don't, you might not notice it, and I hope kids who watch it, my kids, for example, yeah, won't won't notice that. But you know that it it'll come in somehow. I think it's really important what you've done there. I think it's the most diverse diverse cast I can think of. But it, it doesn't become the issue of the movie because we're we're watching a cartoon. So I yeah, of course, it. of course. No, but I think it's fantastic. You know, yeah. to me, it's just. Uh... Just making sure that we have that diversity is just is so important. You know? I, I hope you don't mind, Pierre, that I call it a cartoon because I know that you're an animator and I know that yeah. you're <laughs> But when I was growing up, cartoons were the best thing. Cartoons were, were what I went to the cinema and what I spent Saturday morning on the TV watching. And your film really threw me back to those cartoon specials that I watched, the kind of peak era Hanna-Barbera kind of style involved i was wondering if that was uh, that was something that you were trying to evoke it, it felt quite 70s to me no i think you're right i think there is a you know there is that 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 will to actually stylize those characters more than what we tend to see you know more traditionally these days uh frankly a lot of it is just the two dot for the pupils nowadays it's like super detailed irises and yeah, stuff yeah like in canto it's like the glasses and the, 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 the exactly. eyes and everything but you know this this is and the brows are super dynamic we have those every lines. hair yeah and that's very reminiscent reminiscent of actual sketches actual drawings you know from from the traditional uh days and i think you know that's something that i really was caring for we definitely played with the time period um, even though it's supposed to happen nowadays, you know, I think we definitely played with it a little bit. No, I like that retro feel. Even the the, yeah. the score by uh, Daniel Pemberton, which I know you, you came here to Abbey Road. Did you to, to, to record? Yeah, with we recorded it with, uh, with Daniel in Abbey Road. Yeah, that's not bad. No, it's pretty uh, pretty uh, pretty fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he was, I mean, it's quite full of wah wah and funky grooves and sort of yeah. Starsky and Hutch kind of style. Uh, gone in, yes. I was reminded of Gone in 60 Seconds, the, the original Gone in 60 Seconds. Yeah, of, of, and that's definitely what was uh, his influences as well for Daniel. Dan Daniel is absolutely, is absolutely, uh, absolutely incredible. It's so good. This is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for, you know, 
that Tarantino vibe and Tarantino doesn't really do score. He just uses like all that 70s, you know, flavored yeah. music. Source music, and yeah. Plays out those needle drops throughout his movies. That's kind of what I pitched Daniel at first. It's like, this is what I want. He's like, well, it's, you know, you might need a score. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Just whatever you want, man. And, uh, but he totally got the idea. And he was like, first of all, it's a heist movie, but I don't want to do just a simple heist classic heist score you know heist movie score uh because those are like sometimes a little a little bit more subdued just a bit more like a groovy type of jazz and he wanted also like he really wanted something energetic and that's what i wanted as well you know so he referenced a lot of the you know 60s 70s kind of uh you know like you said you know rock slash funk uh and and just roll with it you know but it's his music is so layered with so many things you know because he's able to have it like that instrumental feel like very symphonic orchestra and on top of it he would add electric guitars and and drums and you're like like it's such an interesting mix but he's a genius that way i mean he just seeing him recording abbey road is just one of the highlights of, of the whole pro- pro- um, no i'm really pleased to see him doing this and animation because i've seen him do documentaries i've seen him do yes. big films little films you know he'll he'll sort of do what he likes uh daniel he does yeah he just chooses what his heart tells him to choose but he doesn't yeah that's i think what what, what he's the most attracted to is like new things like new exciting projects i think when when we met the first time that that's what he was really attracted to was uh oh wow he's Pierre's trying to do something different mm. i like that let's do it you know and and that was great, you know, because he wanted to do something different too. And that's so he was like free range, just go for it. I trust you, man. And just he's got such an incredible mind where he can write this incredible music, but also really understand that narration, you know, like a story. Tell, tell me a little secret about when you're casting the voice for for this this amazing cast. I mean, if you had them in real life, you know, like the Ocean's Eleven cast, you know, you yes. have to get them all together, you know, and you need one like that because that's what you're clearly, you're like, oh, I need it. I got some great characters. I need some great voices. Is it as hard in, in in voiceover work, in animation to get these big stars, Sam Rockwell, you know, that sort of big star and Richard Ayoade from here. Is it is it as hard to get them to do to do voiceover work, to assemble that cast together? Is it, or I mean, what's the days that you need and how do you choose it yourself and who's available? I mean, that's the great thing about just working for DreamWorks is that, you know, this, the sky's the limit kind of thing, you know, you can, you can go for A-listers uh, and, and they would do it for you, which is incredible. You know, when you're at that level, you're just incredibly talented. And that's what we wanted. We wanted some incredibly talented people just to do the voice of these characters because, like, don't be mistaken, like, voice acting is very, very hard, you know, obviously, because you have to put so much in your voice and be able to put so much. And you don't have to, your body to support your performance. So it's very complex. The idea was, okay, well, we want actors that are not, you know, your kind of usual suspects for a heist movie. You know, we could have gone like Ocean Eleven type of good guess. use of usual suspects there as well. Also referencing heist movies. By the so way, usual yeah. suspects are great reference. Il arrête pas ce mec là, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was finding a cast that was supporting each character so well, but at the same time was so was very varied and cool, you know, and not again seen everywhere you know just wanted like new up uh, up and coming talents and you want to a bit more established but also not as familiar with the animation scene and so it takes a long time just to kind of go through that and we don't do auditions you know we really just 
select you know a few of the the people we're thinking about and then and then you do some some of those like editing of voice you know samples of what they've oh, done i see so you like it got you, you you get let's let's watch a ebbing let's, let's watch it three billboards Ex- and see how sam exactly Rockwell's voice fits exactly on <laughs> exactly how and cool. like like let's let's do that cut out against an image of your character and see if that works and then and then you approach them and then sam was the first one we approached and sam said yes really quickly to the pitch uh he loved he loved the idea and so uh, did, and, you, did you tell him that he would be confused for George Clooney in the in the script. No, but that's the thing. The idea was to not do George Clooney. <laughs> it was it was because he's the, a silver fox, of course, a silver wolf. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, that's I'm right I'm, I'm one, you know I get confused for George quite a lot myself. Because <laughs> you're right here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the idea was to just not do exactly George Clooney. Obviously, you know, I wanted to do something different. And 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 Sam has that incredible. Uh, range you know he can do whatever he wants you know and 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 just getting him to be vulnerable to be raw to be you know funny to be a bit of a goofball you know and he brought all of this you know he actually referenced more jack nicholson than than anything else you know he was like you know i want to keep that flu of a cuckoo's feel you know that rawness and that and which is great because it's supposed to be the big bad wolf you know and so he brought all of this and but then when sam got in you know like the rest of the cast once we saw them we we're like yeah of course you know, we just love the project. Sam said, yes, let's, let's do this. Tell me uh, about some of the films. Did, did you watch some live action heist movies uh, to take some references from? I mean, I, I spotted yeah. a few, but I'm going to ask you, you know, what, what, what your, what your favourite films sure. you watched. We ended up not watching too much, but more like playing it from, from memory. Yeah. Kind of thing, you know, um, because you grow up with those films. Um, I mean, the, the very first one that came to mind for me when I saw, you know, the books in the first script was Reservoir Dogs. Uh, Pop Fiction. Good. Kill Bill. There was some Kill Bill for some, for some reason. Uh, quickly, that moved into Snatch. Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. And then Ocean Franchise, Italian Job, uh, The Sting. And then that moved into Baby Driver. I thought Baby Driver and The Sting were in there. Oh, of too. course. Yeah. Totally. And then, and, then, uh, and then definitely Mission Impossible, James Bond, you know. <laughs> kind of the panel, you know. But when I say it moved into, it's because... It started really by that first that first image was really about dogs. Blues Brothers was a lot of it. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Oh, good. I got those, yeah. got those right. But I'm wondering, those right, yeah. Miss, Monsieur Pierre Eiffel, you're obviously yes. French. I'm wondering if you managed to get some some French heist movies in there. Maybe Refifi. Maybe yeah, Refifi. Yeah, Melbourne. there was a lot of that. Funny enough, I was not so familiar with them. And, and weirdly, my influences from French was the Besson imagery that like what came for this movie was more like Besson, like the professional and Nikita and, and, and those, you know, in the fifth element uh, for its goofiness, you know, which I didn't ex- expect that to just, but Luc Besson is so clean in the way he frames these things, almost animation, you know, and Joe Pierre Genet, same thing. Mm. It's very clean. And I grew up with those more than the older, you know, uh, uh, French wave. Um, and so that kind of what came out, you know, but yes, definitely. He was, was you know like it's a massive heist movie that heavily referenced to yeah for sure. Cool. Uh, how how I mean you're a Frenchman and your your animation school is was it was in France. How did how did you end up in the studios in in, in Hollywood? Did, did, <laughs> <laughs> what's a nice French boy like you doing in a place like that? <laughs> like that, yeah. <laughs> the the school that I went to is called Le Gobelin, so it's in Paris. A lot of students from this school actually ended up. At the time, being uh, in emblemation um, in London, working with Steven Spielberg, you know, and then when they, when he and Jeffrey created DreamWorks, you know, all of those guys just moved to LA. One of the, you know, more 
prominent animator, Christoph Sion, had to, you know, he became a head of animation there and just started just creating, you know, just building the teams of animation over in LA. And then because he was, you know, he was a student or alumni of that school, he just stopped tapping into the school and just creating that relationship between the studio and the school. And when I finished my studies, I had done that movie called The Building and, uh, and DreamWorks called me, uh, you know, to ask me, you know, if, wanted to work over there in, in LA and, and kind of I couldn't I couldn't do it right away but just a few years later you know they just kind of we offered it again and then I was ready to go but uh because because wanted to try a kind of a, a broad an adventure abroad with my family and everything so yeah. that's that's how I ended up there and it was supposed to be just yeah let's go for a couple of years and just come back and now you have American kids I take it I mean if you have yes kids. <laughs> absolutely yes amazing uh the 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 the, the history of it all is, is Great, and I'm glad that we, we talked about some of the, those heist movies. But I'm going to just ask you very quickly, uh, do you have any film posters on your wall? I have one, and it's my neighbor Totoro. Oh, the Ghibli. Yeah, yeah. Ghibli, yeah. Did you have posters when you were a kid, when you were growing up? Let me think. Not really, actually. I was most more on my back, you know, or on my sketch pad than... <laughs> On the on in front of the TV. What was the first movie you saw at the cinema? The very first one, I think it was Snow White. Ah, me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it was Snow White. Yeah, but then, I, the first that I can remember. And what's the best, uh, the, the 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 best movie that that, that that sort of changed your life that made you want to do what you do now? In animation? Yeah, maybe, or maybe it was a live action one that made you want to make movies because that's what you're doing. Well, live action. Uh... The Matrix, just like, I remember that as a tons of bricks, you know, it's just like, what is this? Uh, but that gave me, I think it's just like immersed me into, you know, oh my God, I'm, I'm taking it. I mean, a trip, you know, it's like, it's like, it's a journey, you know, I think that's the really the first movie that made me have that feeling. Emily was just a big, big thing as well. It's all around the same time, like 95 to 98. I remember those, like all the 90s, maybe 97 to 2000, yeah. something like that. that period of time when I was just like end of teen, my teenage years, like there's so many movies that came out at this point that just, I was like, oh my God. But like for animation, I think Tarzan was the one because because that's when I discovered animation and at the same year, Glenn Keane was doing, you know, heading the teams for Tarzan in Paris. And, uh, and so there was a lot of media around this in France. Uh -huh. And I would see at the theater when I went to see the movie, I would see his line test. They were playing his line test, like a pencil test everywhere. And just to me, it was like, what is this? This is magic, you know? And and I think that's where I really would say that this movie would just have kind of like threw me in that I, in that animation career path kind of thing. Fantastic. Who's your favorite? So it's still like, like such, it's an amazing film. Yeah. I don't know if it's my favorite, but clearly that holds very it special. It does, doesn't it? Who's your favorite animated character of all time? Probably Lupin. 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 Yeah. He's an animated character. Yeah. Oh. But not when he Omar Sy plays him, or not when. Uh... No, 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 not that one. But it's, it's supposed it's to be the same yeah. guy. And there's is it, in France. There's a there's a Lupin anime. Yeah, yeah, of course. Anime. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I know him from Romanduris, and I know him from. from yeah, 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 yeah. No, for sure. No, it's um, it's uh, it's a character that was created in Japan, and it's it's a. Uh, Miyazaki did a movie called Castle of Cagliostro. It's his first feature film uh, featuring this character. I think it's, the character came from a TV show before that, but he just really brought to, uh, brought to life the first uh, feature. 
But it's the same uh, Lupin, the, the gentleman robber, the same. Yeah, the same, uh, exactly. Uh -huh. Exactly. Well, look, look, look at you now being a gentleman. Yeah, yeah. But like, clearly, you know, bad guys is a lot has been a lot influenced by that for sure. Um, but again, I think it's you're asking me that question. It's, it's uh, I never thought about that question, and so it's very hard to say. That's but, my yeah. job. Pierre yeah. Pierre says. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, listen, great to see you. Uh, clearly a good guy making a film about bad guys. Really nice to meet you. Thanks for coming on the Thank show. Thank you, Jason. That was a pleasure. Thanks really? a lot. Ciao. And The Bad Guys is in cinemas now. What else can you watch then? Well, Coda's coming back to the theatres, as I mentioned, so you can go and get all sniffy and snobby about it there and go, oh, that's not the best film, is it? But if you haven't seen it, do so. Call me cheesy. I liked it. And it's great for teenagers, I'd say. They would really love it. There's True Things with Ruth Wilson. That's uh, out on the theatres now. You can catch up with my interview from uh, last episode about sex on screen with its director, Harry Woodliffe. And I'm still saying The Phantom of the Open is great fun, definitely worth seeing over the holidays. And uh, for a date movie, grown-up date movie, The Worst Person in the World is one of the best of the year. So there's plenty to see at the movies. That's where the best stuff still is. Thanks to my guest Pierre Perifel and to Kate Dawkins for putting it all together. Uh, we'll play out with a track from another new film called One of These Days, which stars uh, Peaky Blinders' The Ipcrest Files' Joe Cole in a Texas town where competitors have to keep one hand on a truck for days on end and the last man or woman standing wins the vehicle. It's an odd film, very artfully done, I have to say. Uh, and good on the new people at Studio Soho Distribution for putting it out there in cinemas, little indie film out in the cinemas. It was a good night down at the premiere at Everyman Borough Yards. Uh, Joe Cole was there with me, uh, and he was a charming guest at the Q&A, I thought. If you were there, it was great to meet you. Thanks for your support. Uh, thanks for coming down there. Anyway. One of these days uh, closes with this Stranglers cover from Bedhead. So we'll play out with that. And I'll see you next week with my guest, the Fever Syndrome playwright, screenwriter and actor, Alexis Zegerman. Ta-da. Every time, just like the last, on his ship, tied to the mast, two distant lands, takes both my hands, never afraid.